Stop making yourself laugh. <laughs> making this much more difficult. Are you ready? Yep. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Field Recordings Podcast. This is Ben. And Frank. And we have a nice show for you today. We have a couple of local entrepreneurs, uh, Lena Levine, uh, who has her own business. She's also the head of Girl Develop It, which is a chapter of a national organization doing interesting things here in Buffalo for female coders and designers. Uh, we also have Megan McNally, who is the executive director of the Foundry and an entrepreneur in her own right as well. Uh, and what I did not realize until a few minutes ago, off off air, mm-hmm. uh, talking with my co-host Frank and Jared here, yep. uh, that Frank himself uh, is a one-time entrepreneur. Yes. Frank, what business did you start? On it was uh, called 24-5 Multimedia. We got the name from... I ran for class president in high school, senior class president, and we use that as our slogan, 24-5, because we take the weekends off, but we work hard you know, during the week. That's interesting. Very successful campaign. We won, and I was carried on the shoulders of my uh, friends through the hallways of Lockport High School, <laughs> class of 99. Nice. Well, congratulations Thank you. both on the win and on the successful business. Yes. Uh, so what did your business do? Uh, we did... I did... Um, it was a freelance business. I did websites, web design. Yes, I actually coded some stuff myself and uh, some print design, but mostly a lot of video stuff. I shot weddings. Nice. I shot some wedding videos. Uh, funny story, the first wedding <laughs> I ever shot. I'm, I'm waiting in the gazebo and I got my shot all framed up. Yeah. And as the father goes to hand off his daughter at, you know, this amazing moment. Key I, moment in any wedding. Yes, I ended up... Also at the very beginning of the wedding, too. <laughs> I end up kicking the tripod, and the, <laughs> the camera just went toppling over, and we missed the. I missed that entire shot. So, luckily, I was a much better editor than I was a shooter, <laughs> and I got to cover up for that mistake. Yeah, how did you work around that? I had... Somebody had a still of it, so I... Uh, I, I just overlapped it and somehow got through it, but they were very happy with the finished product. All right, well, hey, you know, successful. There you go. Entrepreneurialism forces you to uh, to bring out the best in your creative abilities. There, I guess. That's, right? I guess that's the the tagline of that story. I'll take it. I guess. So, like, do you have any lessons you learned from this whole experience? Uh, you know, being you, what you were doing this for five years on your own. Yeah, um, I learned that I'm terrible with money. Everything I got, I'd spend on either like new gadgets or. <laughs> You know, I was in my 20s, so I'd spend the Yes, at the, <laughs> at the bar. Um, and, you know, that you have to pay taxes on stuff, on income, <laughs> which is interesting. I never knew that before then, but that... One might even call it an income tax. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's catchy. But, uh, yeah, I ran into some problems with that, but we got it all sorted out pretty quickly. But, right. yeah, that was some lessons learned, and I don't think I'd like to go down that road anytime soon. All right, well, you know... It's not for everybody, Ben. That's hey, no, I know. Well, I know who it is for. It's Ooh, for our guests today. Beautiful segue. Thank you. So let's hear from Lena and let's hear from Megan. I saw that you were raised in Russia. I actually read that in the True Care piece mm-hmm. uh, that we did. What part of Russia are you from originally? Well, my hometown called Penza, and it's kind of similar to Buffalo. So it's... Uh, it's freezing, is what you're saying? <laughs> it's, ironically, it's warmer there now than in Buffalo. So <laughs> I'm going there March 1st. I'm traveling back home to see my family. So okay. I'm hoping to warm up a little bit and change the weather. What part of Russia is it in? So it's European part. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm hour and a half uh, flight south east from Moscow. How old were you actually when you moved to America? I was, so the first time I came to the States, it was in 2008, and I was an exchange student. Okay. Um, High school or college? 
Uh, college. Okay. Um, I was. I turned twenty one while I was here in the states, so I celebrated my twenty first birthday in the states. Oh wow! Which is interesting. In Russia, the drinking age is eighteen. So I was like twelve in Russia. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, a lot of th- people think that too. Yeah. Um, but yeah, when I moved here, I couldn't buy any alcohol, so I had to wait till my birthday to be able to do it again. So it's, interesting. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, that was fun. And so after that, I went back home. I was just here for a summer in 2008, and I graduated my uh, university in Russia, and I returned in 2009, mm-hmm. um, and I was 20, 21 at that time. What made you decide that you wanted to you know, start your life up in the U.S.? Not uh, well, I, I always had this ambition, and uh, I just didn't see myself, you know, succeeding by living in Russia or I didn't see the way to apply my skills or just you know match my drive and passions with the pace of life that's in Russia or was in Russia at that moment Uh, and I always I enjoyed English-speaking countries I always had this passion for English for um, for the language so I you know moving to the States I saw that as an opportunity to actually you know applying my skills and knowledge and do something meaningful and um, you know find something that I can do that will be fulfilling something that I can enjoy tell me a little bit about the work that you do now mm-hmm. uh, with uh, your design company so um, last year I started my design studio uh, Lena Levine studio mm-hmm. um, web design right? web design graphic design okay. um, also for marketing and SEO services um, so pretty much the full spectrum of um, uh, web services. Um, before that, I was a freelancer. I freelanced for about maybe six months. Okay. Um, and I decided that I want to make it more official and um, just maintain the same uh, you know, lifestyle of being my own boss and uh, uh, being in control of my decisions and where I want to go. So. Th- I just, I don't know, registered my own business. Uh, the lady said, congratulations, I'm a businesswoman. And uh, that was one of the most uh, exciting feelings in the world. And uh, yeah, since um, for the last year, I've been working on my business and um, I love it. Yeah, something like, so when you made the decision to come to the States and you mentioned that the, the pace of, of kind of the economic situation uh, in Russia at the time was not really conducive to what you're looking to do. Right. Is that, did you want to be an entrepreneur then? Like, were you thinking at the time, I want to do my own thing? Or was it more like, I would just like to go over there and kind of see where things go? Yeah, I know. Actually, when I moved here, I had no idea what was going to happen. I mean, uh, when I came here the second time, I was also, uh, for four months, I was in a, as an exchange student. Mm-hmm. And then um, I applied for the college. So during that period of time, while I was waiting to be accepted in the college and just going through the paperwork, I really had no idea what's going to happen mm-hmm. even next week. And it's just, I don't know, it was exciting and scary at the same time, the feeling of unknown, just have no idea what's going to happen, you know, not not having any plan, right. you know, no idea like how things are going to turn out. So. Um, it, it, it has a certain thrill in it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, 
yeah, when I came here, I, I didn't had a clear plan in mind. So it's just life kind of happened and, you know, I had to make things happen in order to uh, make it through. And I started with zero. I didn't really know anyone here. Um, I came with a few friends who unfortunately had to leave and go back to Russia. So I ended up just being on my own and I had to make new friends, meet new people. And it's it's pretty much a topic of the separate conversation. It's yeah, just yeah. the story of, you know, being in a different country, speaking different language, being immersed in a completely different culture and trying to like make it through, even survive, you know? Right. Uh, it's, it's really exciting and it gave me a lot of life experience. I think that's where I got my um, entrepreneurial spirit from, okay. just being, you know, trying to make it and being responsible for how it's all going to turn out. If I make this decision, yeah, I'm going to eat tomorrow or, <laughs> you know, not going to get in trouble because some sketchy guy trying to, you know, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine. So, like, but you like that sink or swim. Like, you like to put yourself... Yeah. The, the phrase I've heard from that before is uh, you burn your boats. Like, you go someplace... It's like the Vikings used to... Uh -huh. when they would attack... Uh, uh, you know, like the Vikings and would attack England. When mm -hmm. they landed, they would burn their boats so there was no way out. Oh. So they were either going to win or they were going to die trying. And it right. seems like that's kind of what you like to do too, like the sink or swim mentality. Like you go into these things and you come to uh, a new country and mm -hmm. kind of go it on your own. Uh, you start your own business and kind of go it on your own. So it seems like you like to kind of put that pressure on yourself. To... I think so. I like <laughs> to I like to put a lot of uh, things on my plate. And uh, sometimes I think, man, why did I commit to all these things? But <laughs> eventually, you know, it pays off. And um, even with uh, when I started the chapter of Girl Develop It, my before I committed to it, that was my biggest um, indecision or my concern. I was thinking, hey, if I start this, I have to be really committed to it because I have to follow through, you know, that's something where, you know, I get other people involved and I can just, you know, bail out in the middle. So, but, you know, taking responsibility, like uh, starting a chapter of the nonprofit here in Buffalo, I think uh -huh. it, it, it was indeed one of the best decisions I made. Uh, it helped me to meet so many amazing people and really truly connect with the Buffalo tech community Yeah, um, and actually give back um, You know, I was so appreciative for all the help I got from people and my friends when I moved to the States That I really felt like I want to give back to people mm -hmm. and help other women to start successful careers or improve their existing careers um, that led me to um, starting the chapter of the girl development in Buffalo. When did you first kind of start taking an interest in uh, in uh, the design world and the tech world? Like, was mm -hmm. this something that was always kind of appealing to you when you were younger? Uh, did it kind of spark when you started college? Like, when did you start kind of following down this road? So my, I'm I'm coming from the family of engineers, okay. <laughs> so I can say I literally absorbed it all the love for technology with my. Uh, uh, mother's milk I don't know if that's the expression <laughs> okay <I follow> you. <laughs> uh, so um, yeah it's just the environment I grew up <clears throat> in my parents was all my dad was always looking at all these uh, schemes of the cars and it had some colorful schemes so I was always looking at it and I found it really interesting man mm -hmm. um, I was I always been interested in logical games when I was growing up um, 
and when I was 12, my dad found this ad in the newspaper for uh, Microsoft Basic Coding Club. So I signed up and I was going there for a few years, learned Microsoft Basic was my first uh, programming language that I learned. Okay. Then uh, later in high school, I went, uh, I signed up for the Pascal Programming Club. And um, so by the time I had to make a decision, where, you know, which college I should go to, I, you know, I had a clear idea that I want to be a programmer. Mm-hmm. That's something I was interested in. I, I really enjoyed uh, creating programs. So that was my uh, first choice. You went to college at? Russia. All right, what was the name of the school? Uh, it's called uh, Penza State Technological Academy. Oh, okay. So it's interesting. So your dad is actually the person who kind of turned you on to technology. Mm-hmm. Uh, and with your work with girl development, you know, you're, you're kind of trying to do the same thing uh, with young women and, and women uh, here in Buffalo. Mm-hmm. When you were in, you know, growing up in Russia, did you see the situation as being similar there? Was it, were there less women involved in, uh, you know, science, technology, engineering, things along those lines? Was it different there, where where mm-hmm. women were more encouraged to participate in kind of the tech fields, or like how did that work? Yeah, I mean, it's the same. Um it, 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 in Russia, we have the same gender imbalance. So, okay. for instance, in my uh, yeah, in the university, we had about sixty or seventy guys and only ten girls uh, huh. during our program. So, but I didn't feel like I, you know, I didn't f- felt intimidated by it. I didn't feel any, you know, um, just uh, not being, you know, treated fairly. Gotcha. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, actually. When I was in university, guys would usually come to the girls and ask for help with programming or any other classes because girls were more responsible and guys okay. were just always, you know, doing everything <laughs> the last minute. So I, I didn't feel like, you know, guys were better at it. Actually, most of the times, girl, girls were better at coding. Mm-hmm. So, and I, I didn't have this, you know, at that time it didn't click to, you know, with me that, or why there is, you know, imbalance and maybe we should do something about it. Right. So when I, when I moved to the States and um, I went uh, to Niagara Community College for the digital media program, um, that's when I started realizing that, you know, there is something that is imbalanced out there. Right, right. That again, during my uh, programming classes or web design classes, it was mostly guys um, in the classroom. So, and I, as you know, as I was growing up, as I was going through the um, university years, um, I never really had a girlfriend that was uh, into coding besides right. my classmates at the university. So, and, and again, I never really thought of, of that, of that, you know, this way, like, hey, why don't I have a girlfriend who, you know, is not interested in the same stuff that I do? It's just, you know, when you grow up with your high school friends, you just, you know, those your friends and um you know you love them and uh, you have a great time with them but then when i moved here to the states i start being more um uh, proactive about my choice and who you know i choose to be a friend so i start noticing that again i don't have any girlfriends who are programmers or web developers and um so that's when I got the idea that I wanted to start a meetup in Buffalo where I can get together women and help them to learn about coding or just like-minded women who are interested in coding. So, um, um, 
that's how that's how I came up to this uh, to the idea. So, uh, and then I learned about the girl develop it, and mm -hmm. so when I learned about the organization, I thought it was perfect. So they already had this you know structure in place. They had the network. They had other chapters. So I, I could learn from the experience by uh, doing something like that in Buffalo. So. From your experience, uh, having a chance to talk to uh, these women and kind of be involved in this community, why do you think it is that there are there aren't more female programmers, female designers? Why, why is there this kind of need for for more women in the industry? Like what what is happening that they're not getting involved? Right. Well, it's um, um, I think the in this particular case, uh, I would talk about the women developers, the women programmers. Because mm -hmm. um, if you look at the designers and marketing specialists, um, I think actually there is more women in that field, uh, you know, like in those uh, areas than men. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, but yeah. As a, being a developer, um, it's it's very uh, interesting subject because there is a lot of different factors that um, could affect, um, you know, those numbers. Um, and some of the reasons are that Certain women don't feel comfortable going into the field because they think it's only for guys. Some women have those stereotypes that you just sit in the, you know, in the dark room, no windows, and yeah, yeah, yeah. somewhere in the basement, <laughs> and <laughs> don't yeah. see any daylight. Uh, sometimes it's actually, um, um, I don't know, the product of, um, uh, I don't know, could be even a better thing, for instance, um, you know, women that go to the tech field, women who are developed, they more they could be more social. They have better uh, leading skills, or better social skills. So what happens? Right. Okay. Uh, they get promoted at work and become project manor managers. Um, so so they, of, so they get out of like the day to day work then. Yeah, okay. yeah, okay. yeah. So they being mentored out of it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, huh. So you know they lose that position of being developer. Um, so yeah, those are just a few few factors that can affect those uh, uh, statistics and the numbers. So Girl Development just had a, a hackathon. Yeah. Could you uh, talk a little bit about what the hackathon is and like kind of what happened over the course of the, the sure. those days? Yeah. yeah, so the hackathon um, is an event. It can be a day-long event, two days long uh, event, where the software developers, web developers, designers get together and uh, working teams on software projects. Okay. Uh, the hackathon that we had in Buffalo was called GDI Hacks. Uh, and what we did, we um, partnered up with the local businesses, uh, minority or women-owned businesses and nonprofits, mm -hmm. and helped to redesign their websites uh, during yes. the hackathon. So we had uh, nine different teams, consisted of designers, developers, and marketing specialists okay. uh, that during uh, during twelve hours, they developed uh, uh, new websites or created brand new websites for those businesses. What were the companies that received websites? So we had uh, nine different companies participating, and a few of them were American T uh, Experience. The team won the first prize. Uh, we also had volunteer uh, volunteer lawyers. Uh, Abyssinia, the restaurant that. Um, Located at the West Side Bazaar. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, they had a uh, really great uh, website. I really loved it, uh, and we also had the groom service and a few others. So we we hope to post them on the GDI Hex website 
for everybody to see. Awesome. That's great. How many people participated? How many women did you have show up? We had about 45 women. So it was uh, it was really great turnout for the first time. Um, that was kind of our um, you know expectation around 50, 50 participants. Okay. So it was definitely um, we definitely succeeded at it. So how do women get involved if they want to be part of Girl Develop It? So uh, they can find us on the meetup.com. That's where our official uh, page is. We post all our events and classes through the meetup. Um, they can go to the meetup.com and just type Girls Develop in Buffalo okay. um, and join, join our page. How do you kind of like self-educate to stay sharp? Like, how do you keep up on uh, on new trends? Uh, how do you you know teach yourself more about about your field? Right. So, um, I mean, there is a lot of ways you can stay um, up to date. Uh-huh. Um, a lot of websites, or I go to the conferences to, you know, to learn about the latest uh, trends in the design or technology. What conferences do you go to? Uh, oh man. <laughs> Um, there are a lot of great conferences in the um, West Coast. I've been um, to the Distill Conference last year. Cool. Uh, this year I'm planning to go to the um, Smashing Conference in New York City. So they have a lot of uh, uh, great workshops on the design and um, web development. Okay. Um, there is a great conference coming up in Syracuse called Create Upstate in April 16th and 17th. Okay. Uh, they also, uh, it's focused, it's design focused. Uh, and they'll have a few, yeah, they have a few workshops on typography and uh, uh, I think social media or content development. And nice uh, I'll be speaking at the conference. So. Oh, very nice. <laughs> yeah, uh, I'll, uh, I'm, I'm one of the uh, speakers and I'm really excited. Excellent. All right. Well, that's all the questions I have for you. So all thanks right. for being part of the podcast. Today. Yeah, thanks for inviting me. Excellent. So you're working with the Foundry. You have your yes. own woodworking shop. Uh, I guess like the first like, you know, kind of nuts and bolts questions. Uh, if you talk about the Foundry a little bit, like the backstory when it opened. Sure. Uh, a lot of people may be unfamiliar with what the Foundry actually does. Uh, so just kind of give us the 360 Overview. degree picture. Yeah. Sure. Um, so the Foundry, I guess, is a business incubator and community space. So I like to kind of say it's a little bit of everything for everyone. Um, it started, actually, I was looking for space for my business that I was starting, um, so it was called Rusted Grain, and that basically took um, old beams out of houses and manufactured like new farm tables and things like that, so um, you obviously need a lot of warehouse space for something like right. that, yeah, yeah. Uh, and then a few other people that I knew were starting businesses at the time, so we kind of just like threw together and found this warehouse. Um, and started renting, but it's still really expensive (laughs) to be able to heat that space. So we just threw out the word that we wanted other people to join us, and it turns out that there's not a lot of readily available manufacturing space in Buffalo for Mm -hmm. um, startup businesses. So, like, it's easy to find a 1,000-plus square feet of manufacturing space, but for a business that wants 200 square feet just to try it out and figure out if they want a business. Right. Um, there's not that many. So, uh, it's almost kind of weirdly ironic in a city where we're so full of like these old manufacturing spaces that it's right. hard to find <laughs> manufacturing space, right? Right. But even in our building, it's like 100 and, I don't know, 110 years old or something right. like that. And uh, there's so much wrong with it. So even though it's a good bones building, 
it's still like so much work. So I can see why, you know, all the things that were abandoned 50 plus years ago, there's yeah. no hope for it. Right. Really. That's true. That's true. When I was a, a cub reporter uh, back in Dunkirk, keep throwing this in here, uh, the U.S., uh, the EPA actually had to come in to uh, and remediate a site. Mm. Uh, it, and it was probably about the same size as the foundry. It actually was a foundry, a brass foundry. Oh, okay. And uh, it was so lots more chemicals. <laughs> yeah, oh, it was really interesting because like the the head of the project took me out in the woods and like pointed to the ground and like showed me like the different colors. She's like, "That's nickel, and that's like some other wow. metal." You know, it's just like seeping from the ground. This place mm-hmm. had not been open in probably twenty years, but uh, <clears throat> it's interesting. So the foundry in Northampton Street mm-hmm. uh, on Buffalo's East Side. Yes. Uh, what kind of led you to that specific space? Just because it was the only thing available, or um, no. you, was there a conscious kind of effort to like you know reach out kind to a of. part of the that part of the city. Well, so I live there. Okay. I live like right next door down the street. Um, and I've been there for eight years. So I was already next door and it opened up. It used to be Buffalo Reuse. So it was already a community space that people were very familiar with. Um, so we get people still all the time, like however many years after they moved out, walking down the street to be like, Hey, can I buy some used material? But obviously we, we do more than just used material now. So, um, but it was an easy transition because people were already familiar with the space um, and already willing to come to it. So when we started to do more stuff there and open it up again, it was just an easy transition. Interesting. So you lived yeah. over uh, on the east side for eight years. Mm-hmm. Uh, <clears throat> and I bought the house in a foreclosure auction. Was it like one of the dollar houses? That uh, yeah, it was $3,000. but Okay, still yeah. uh-huh. not a bad deal. Yeah. Uh, what made you decide to move uh, to that part of town? Because uh, Buffalo Reuse was there, and yeah. uh, I was doing a lot of like community gardening with them. Um, I actually, so I got a grant from my college, and what college was that? Uh, Barnard College okay. in New York City. So we got, I got a four thousand uh, dollar grant to do whatever I wanted with, and mm-hmm. I was like, well, what could I do with this? And everybody was like. I'm going to buy a round-trip ticket around the world and pretend like I'm studying right. the cultures of the world or something. <laughs> Just and you know, partying the whole time and going yeah, yeah. around the world on a free trip. Um, but I, so I had been linked to Buffalo Reuse and was working with them on um, a lot of community gardens. And part of, you know, you're shoveling dirt for six hours a day and you're talking to people. Yeah. Um, inevitably, issues come up about the neighborhood and people are talking about you know, their properties, getting citations for, you know, not maybe not having a railing or something on their sure. house. And so there's a lot of like easy fixes that are very affordable that mm-hmm. you could just do yourself. And so the idea came that um, what if we had like an experimental house that you could just basically put holes in and mess yeah. up and whatever, it wouldn't be a big deal. So huh. I decided to convince my college to buy this house for me for $3,000. That's awesome. Um, and so I, they were in Barnard was into that idea. Uh, <laughs> kind of, I mean, they're super liberal arts college. And, right. um, so it was like kind of a foreign okay. idea. They were like, why would you ever want to do like construction and carpentry and anything yeah. like that? But, um, I think in the long term they saw like the bigger vision of, um, it kind of being an educational space for the community. So, um, we used to host uh, a lot of workshops there, just having different people come in and teach. And yeah. it was really like anybody from the neighborhood or anybody, you know, really from Buffalo can come for free and learn about things and put holes in the wall. So it's kind of like if you went to Home Depot, you could do that. And they have those like Saturday classes. Sure. But it's in an actual house and with somebody you feel comfortable with rather than it being some like 
random employee who's kind of disgruntled and doesn't really even want to teach that. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> just wants to get to his coffee break. Basically. Right, right, exactly. So, um, yeah, that's how I ended up there. And then um, Buffalo Reuse kind of went away from there, and I still had this house, and then I was like, well, I'll just move into it and fix it up. And um, So then it became my house, and then we had the big warehouse that was free, so. That's cool. You have this business that you started. Yes. Uh, woodworking business. Mm-hmm. Um, With talk about, almost no knowledge. <laughs> well, I was saying, talk about that. Like, how did you get interested in this originally? Um, and, so I was rehabbing yeah. the house and teaching yeah. workshops, and I just suddenly realized, like, wow, I'm really into this. And yeah. um, I was always really book smart, but it just was, like, something to do, I guess. Sure. Um, and so I like when started... when you were a teenager, did you ever, like... Pick up a owl. No, um, my um, my um, grandfather actually is a woodworker. Okay. Um, so he used to do a lot of like tinkering in the basement, and whatever. But he would never let us touch the tools. It was like his own little man cave that he just went down and made these beautiful things. So I was always like, that's cool. But so there was know, interest there at least. Right. But I never like learned anything about it. And right. uh, so when I started doing this project, actually, I never really connected with my grandfather much. Uh-huh. But then, you know, when I started, like, doing this woodworking, he'd be like, oh, did you try this new technique? And I'd be like, oh, my God, you're talking to me. <laughs> That's crazy. <laughs> um, but so I got really into working with my hands, and then I started just researching different places to go because I was still – I was going back and forth, like, every week to, from college, like, trying to do this other project and then flying out to New York City and, like, going to school for the week and then yeah. coming back. Um, but then once I got out, I was like, well, I'm really into doing this carpentry stuff and I want to pursue it more. And so my background is actually in environmental policy. That's what I went to school for. Right. And so I started to get really into like learning about green building, but also just alternative methods of building. So not necessarily like high tech building. Um, and so I went and traveled around the country learning about, um, straw bale building, adobe building, um, earth ships, which are like. They're out in New Mexico. It was invented by this guy. And they're basically, if you ever watch The Garbage Warrior, okay. it's a documentary of this guy who came up with this idea. It's like old tires. You pound it full of dirt. Uh-huh. The idea is that like the sun hits the tires and it has all this dirt, so it holds all the heat. So in the middle of the High Plains Desert in New Mexico, these houses basically heat themselves. Huh. Um they're pretty much off the grid buildings and um, the people who build them are pretty incredible and garbage warriors like really accurate because I just see these people as like kind of like today's world Viking. Yeah. (laughs) They're just really intense and like all really built because they're like building these gigantic houses or they're not gigantic, but building these houses that require so much energy. So I started learning about that and um, then I ended up at Yestermorrow Design and Build School, um, which is a school for alternative building, but also woodworking. Um, and I worked with a retired cabinet maker up in the like mountains of Vermont who mm-hmm. built his own wood shop and then you know would make stuff during the day and then go skiing out the backyard. And nice. Yeah. So that's how I learned. And then I just came back and I was like, well, it sounds like a good idea to start a business. I don't know. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> and a little bit of it is like everybody asks me like, you know, why or, you know, what made me do it or whatever. And it's just kind of like, I guess, like willful, willful ignorance yeah, of yeah. like you just ignore the like all the warning signs that are like, don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, and that's, I mean, that's exactly how the, the foundry started too. If you looked at it from like a perspective of, is this going to work? You know, here's all the, like, this is the building's condition. This right. is like, we have an idea and a few people and it's not really that great of like something that somebody would bank on as being really successful. But, um, I think it's more just like you ignoring all that and kind of just going for it. Yeah. Because oh, it's fun. <laughs> well, I think like that's part of being an entrepreneur, right? Because totally. if you really look at the odds and like the, like, like how much sense it makes to do these things, like why do it, right? Because right. if you have the inherent risk of failure in everything you do. Mm -hmm. um, You're like signing up for three to five or more years of like absolute round the clock work and absolutely. like total dropout, like risk of failure and scariness yeah was that something real that you dealt with or did you just kind of ignore it um like risk of failure or like, well, like scary... the fear of failure yeah like totally i mean i think every entrepreneur deals with it at some point especially when you start adding employees and you're like oh this just got real i'm like, responsible for someone's life yeah <laughs> and then like the person who you're working with is like oh my wife just got pregnant and you're like great don't do that <laughs> it's like oh my gosh <laughs> So now you have to provide for your family, okay. I suppose you um, want insurance now, too. Right, exactly. So, like, all the things, you know, just start piling onto it. And you're just, like, you have these moments where you're, like, oh, my God, what am I doing and what yeah, did yeah. I get into? So, yeah, I think every entrepreneur has to go through that, though. It's, like, unhealthy if you don't. I'm going to guess that 99% of the people who listen to this have never been into the foundry before. Mm -hmm. So it's a manufacturing space. Can you kind of like walk us through it? Like, what does it kind of look like when you walk in? How are things laid out? Does everyone have like their own little space? Like, Yeah, so um, we actually, it's interesting. So we work with a youth program and they work with all Reclaim Wood. They learn from start to finish how to build walls and do drywall and all that kind of stuff. So the entire space when we first started there was completely open. There was no walls, no anything. And now, working with the students, they get to create people's spaces where they work in. So mm -hmm. they can see an attachment of being able to provide other people with opportunities in their own jobs and being self-sufficient. So each one is kind of like a little stall um, that people can work out of and they have like a little sliding door so it's like mm -hmm. a kind of like a barn door looking thing and uh, it ranges from size so there's a 10 by 10 is usually the smallest and okay. then all the way up to maybe a thousand square feet or so um, but we usually try to keep it on the smaller side because we're really just trying to incubate people and get them out mm -hmm. um, into the world of being successful business owners um, and so I guess there's right now maybe 17 or 18 spaces and we work, we've worked with 28 to 30 businesses, um, at this point. And yeah, I don't know. Each person brings in their own stuff. We're actually opening up. So I, ha I gave up my business of woodworking. Mm -hmm. Um, and we just really do, uh, I cut up big logs that's like the only thing that I do. I work with like tree companies mm -hmm. and I cut the logs into workable, uh, big giant slab table mm -hmm. tops. Um, and so I, I don't do that anymore, but I only do the slab stuff. And then the wood shop is now like an educational space so people can rent it. Um, there's a lot of people or contractors who sometimes just need to fabricate things mm -hmm. and they have no access to a nice shop or they have like an unheated crappy one in their garage or yeah. they have one in the basement but they can't wake up 
you know, the other tenants or whatever right. the reason is. Um, so we are providing access to those kinds of people to be able to come in, rent space for a few hours a month and um, make stuff. Interesting. So, so when you say this incubator, like the goal is to get people out of there, have you seen that happen? Have you seen people kind of successfully transition out of the, out of the mm-hmm. foundry and into like their own successful right. spaces outside of that space? Yeah, so there's two people who I would say that are pretty successful, or at least on their way to being successful. Um, mm-hmm. We don't have any minimum or maximum time that you have to be there. Okay. Um, it's really just feeling people out when we go th- kind of through an evaluation of where their business is at, where yeah. they're growing to. Um, and most times if people are growing and need to grow even bigger than they already have grown in the space, mm-hmm. that's when we have a conversation that they need to leave. Right. <laughs> um, but that, you know, we try to help them and they're still connected to the community. But there's um, one young woman who started her business when she was nine and she's now 14. Yeah. And she does all kinds of beauty products. Her name is Zandra. And... Um, they just moved into a bigger facility because they have 55-gallon drums of shea butter and yeah, all yeah. different kinds of stuff. So we couldn't really support that. Um, and then the other one is a guy who was looking to do beer brewing, and he was doing demonstrations out of the foundry. Mm-hmm. And he purchased a property to start his own. Um, so he's do- going through all the like regulations of actually um, getting a brewery up and running. That's awesome. Wow, that's actually pretty cool. Um mm-hmm. I thought it was interesting reading through the website, uh, Foundry, about kind of that evaluation process, how it uh, kind of got to get voted on to the island. It seems mm-hmm. like everyone has to sit down. You have to meet with everyone, and then, like the group of people who are there, if I understand this correctly, right. kind of have to hear what you have to say about your business, and they decide how serious you are, and they decide if you're going to fit in, and if you feel like a good fit, then, then you're in. Mm-hmm. And if it seems like you're not going to fit in, then... Is that how it works? Yeah, yeah. Is that um, an uncomfortable process, or is it like no. the most comfortable process? No, I mean, I, we really haven't turned very many people away, okay. um, and it's more that people self-select to get in anyway, yeah. because they read through the website and they go, ooh, this is not really for me, or for whatever reason. Right. Um, but I would say it's helpful because you feel, if you're the incoming business, you feel like people really want you to be there. Yeah. Um, so we try to create an atmosphere where... People want you to be there. You're expected to help each other. So it's not just like everybody's business out for themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's a really important thing in the entrepreneurial atmosphere is that feeling like you're supported by other entrepreneurs and other startups is a really important thing because if you're starting a business alone on an island, yeah, it ends up being really alienating and really... Um, you feel defeated a lot of the time and there's no one telling you like it happened to me and I've failed at four businesses and now I have a successful one. Right. Um, and so I think that that's a really important part of why, um, you know, we have this support group that everybody's kind of electing for you to be in there. I think one of the nice things too about, about the foundry specifically is that in Buffalo right now, like there is an entrepreneurial, entrepreneurial community that's kind of growing of a lot of things that we see, 43 North and Dig and all these types of things. Uh, but I think the focus in a lot of ways has been on tech, mm-hmm. uh, kind of tech startups, which is, you know, it's obviously very now, so that makes sense that that's going to be getting the headlines. Uh, and then when you look at some of the 43 North stuff, like that is on a scale of thing that's not happening. You know, uh, The winner of that, you know, has like a 
proprietary manufacturing process that is you know meant for large-scale industry mm -hmm. um, and you're helping people who are kind of that don't really fit into either of those categories they have like smaller startups that are not necessarily tech-based uh, you know craft-based artisanal uh, and this is the space for people that they can go do that like do you feel like you're providing a service that you know that was not there before yeah um, I think it's pretty intentional mm -hmm. so there is a lot of buzz about the tech industry and big sure. startups and kind of like the you know from zero to a yeah zero zero to a billion, yeah. um, but the reality is the majority of the economy is fueled on small businesses. So right. um, if we can help somebody start a business that pays for them, pays for their family, and you know maybe hires five to fifteen people in the yeah. long run, that's um, what we're looking at in terms of success. And I think that there's not really that many um, incubators out there right now that try to specifically focus on that well and, and in some cases almost frown on it because you mm -hmm. read some of the things uh you know that that big time entrepreneurs talk about or you know entrepreneurial gurus and they say you have to make this decision if you want to be a growth business or a lifestyle business and almost frown on the idea that someone would want to have a lifestyle business mm -hmm. as though not wanting to you know be a billionaire is is a problem i think that's great that there are people out there who want to work on their own and don't want to kind of you know, put their time and labor and life really into someone else's business, mm -hmm. that they have a way to kind of pursue that. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that that's like what we try to provide is a lifestyle business. And yeah. a lot of people who are in there, if they're not, if they haven't quit their job, they're planning on it. Um, and that's what we want to encourage basically. And the other thing is, is that we're specifically located in an area that's like really struggling with employment yeah. um and so what we try to do is support a lot of people in the neighborhood in terms of figuring out what they want and what they want to do and we work with a lot of the youth from the neighborhood in terms yeah. of exposing them to the idea that you know you could just work for a company that you know is starting out of here or maybe you want to create your own business that's yeah. possible for them so it's a lot of like exposure to new ideas and the opportunities that could be um, available to them other than just you know working for a huge company well and that's something that i think that, that i wanted to bring up anyways i uh, you know, you're working you know you're within a stone's throw of jefferson street i'm not mistaken and, mm -hmm. uh, you know it's a primarily black neighborhood it's a primarily uh uh it's, it's a poor neighborhood uh the great things happening in buffalo right now are not affecting this part of town directly how important is it to you that you bring some of this spirit uh into a place that's not getting more of that right now yeah it's really important um i think that that's part of why we decided um originally it was kind of open to everyone like whoever yeah. wants to apply and be a part of the foundry that's great um but at this point we're kind of trying to focus more on minority and specifically african-american right. communities as well as women um, being part of the entrepreneurial community because right. of the history of entrepreneurship is you know 75 percent male or something like that um white male yeah um and so we're trying to kind of get other people into the conversation and make that happen and um i think yeah being in where we are is pretty strategic, but it's also close enough to all the other stuff that's happening. Sure. So like we're less than a mile away from Dig and yep. um, the Buffalo Niagara Medical Campus. So we're able to, you know, kind of pull in those resources and pull in those other players that might have the more 
you know, maybe more money, mm-hmm. but we have more people who are actually in the neighborhood and, you know, talking to people. So, you know, it's a good mix of why we're there. So you see yourself as kind of a linchpin then that can kind of help. Yeah, like a connector of sorts. And um, I mean, everybody is always wonders, oh, was the foundry actually used to be a foundry? It actually used to be a laundry, but calling it the laundry is not a very attractive term. (laughs) Um, So we decided to call it the foundry because the people who started it, like I was working with found objects. There's another company who was working with found objects. So part of it was like that kind of idea of reuse and found objects, but also it's more turned into that you find information at the foundry. And it's not only about like finding information about businesses. We have people coming in all the time, just asking random questions or like, sometimes it's just, we are kind of the database of, do you happen to know a good Mason who would, (laughs) you know, restore my chimney? And usually we do just because, you know, one of our businesses works with somebody who's a Mason who repairs chimneys. So we tend to just be like kind of a information hub. So you alluded to this a little bit before. I want to make sure we touch on it too. So you are, you're female, obviously. <laughs> Breaking news, everyone. Megan, Weird. Yeah, I know. Uh, but no, you're, I mean, so you're obviously not traditional uh, sure. in the woodworking field. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, what's that been like uh, as the executive director of, you know, yeah. kind of a, a business that, you know, stereotypically is not a position, not sure. just your business, but the foundry as well. The foundry, yeah. That you wouldn't necessarily stereotypically mm-hmm. think that a female was going to do. Yeah, I mean, I think I was lucky growing up because my parents were totally like, do whatever you want. And yeah. uh, I don't know if you knew, but Barnard is a all-women's college, and I never yeah. made that decision because it was an all-women's college. Was the Supreme Court justices go there, by the way? Yeah, I think so. I think so. Sotomayor, Sotomayor yeah. Yes, sorry. Yeah, so it's like... I never made the decision to go there because of that. I, it was just like close to family and I got this scholarship for to buy my house, essentially. Yeah, yeah. Not that I knew I was going to buy my house. But um, then going there and then starting this program, doing teaching workshops and stuff, I suddenly realized like, oh my God, this exists. Like this weird like divide of non-traditional trades and like women being in men's trades is not a thing. Right, and right. it just was like kind of blew my mind. I was like, whoa, what? this actually happens because I was just so used to like going to all women's college. It was like, do whatever you want, be whoever you want. Um, and so I kind of just like eventually arrived at kind of the importance of having everybody in a conversation. So, you know, you look at the building trades, it's mostly like adding women to the conversation is really important. Um, but then you look at the entrepreneurial field as a whole and like going back to what we said, it's mostly white male. And so it's not only adding women to the conversation, it's adding all different minorities to the conversation too, is a really important thing because you have to have the collective mix of people to have a really interesting and, um, vibrant, you know, community and ecosystem. Um, and so I think that I started putting more importance on doing that kind of stuff but i've had i mean you you have crazy experiences that you can't believe that happen so like you right. know you you call a company to get uh a price on whatever kind of wood or if you needed some some kind of hardware or something and they're like they make up excuses they're like i'm sorry you have to have an account with us or like right, right. who are you calling from what company are you calling <laughs> or whatever and so they give you a hard time so i used to always just have my employee who's a male call because they would just give them an answer in like 30 seconds messed up yeah but i mean that's like the way that you work around it i guess yeah but i I think that as you add more women and more minorities into the conversation it gets like 
every day. Absolutely. But, yeah. you know, that's why I do what I do. Right, right. So, plans for the future? Like, what are you looking for for the foundry, for yourself? Yeah. Like, what's 2015 hold Myself for you? is a good question. <laughs> <laughs> um, but as far as the foundry goes, so we struggle. So, we're working on um, expansion right now yeah. onto the second floor. We're adding 11 additional studios because we have 15 to 20 people on the waiting list currently. Uh-huh. Um, and... I foresee even struggling after we fill those 11, what do we do with them after that? So we're kind of looking at expanding in the long term, and we've been approached by a bunch of different people and asked if we wanted to expand. Um, so I think that might be not next year, but you know mm-hmm. maybe in the future of looking to expand. Um, the other thing is that just so many people join us and want to um, stay with us. So right. a lot of the people who are we eventually push out as graduates don't necessarily want to leave the community of people that they've created. So we're trying to figure out how to move them into a additional facility. So it's kind of like the graduate facility. Um, so they're still supported. Yeah. So that they're still supported in a way, um, because it's not like, you know, they grow enough and they're like, bam, successful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like long term. they need, still need support. So, um, we're trying to figure out how we do that. Well, kind of I, in the long term. I, say, I think that speaks well to the community that you're building then too, that these people, they want to be around each other. Like mm-hmm. that they have found a home and they don't want to leave their home. That's yeah. kind of a nice thing, right? Yeah, totally. That's what we're looking to do. And if anybody ever wants to take a tour of the foundry, we have open hours. So it's right. uh, Mondays, Wednesdays, four to seven and Saturdays, 10 to four. Are we being, I was about to wrap it up and I was going to ask yeah. you well, how people how to find get, out more. Yeah. yeah so so you go, like, yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm used to doing these things, um, but you just go to foundrybuffalo.org and you can look it up Absolutely. and learn all about what we do and how to get involved and if you want to become a renter and part of the family or whatever. It's fantastic. Megan, thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. It. Music for Field Recordings is provided by The Traditional. The opening song is called Disaster from their new album, How to Live Without Blood, which is available on iTunes. And you can also get more information on the band by going to thetraditional.bandcamp.com.